Podcast. I'm Liana Downey and I'm here with Andrea Capel, who is the Executive Director for the National Council of Jewish Women, New York's section. Andrea, I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your journey to this point. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Well, of course. Well, first, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I have been very lucky in my career in nonprofit of about 25 years in that I've been able to work in a lot of different policy and program areas. I started out at Planned Parenthood, working in women's health and reproductive rights. I've done a lot of work in aging services, um, in hunger and nutrition. I've worked in the performing arts area. I've worked in early childhood and youth development. My main area of expertise is what I would call strategic program development. So you go into an organization, you look at what are that organization's core competencies and strengths, what does it really do well, you look at what are the needs in the community that aren't being met, and then you also have to look at, of course, what is the funding community interested in, donors and foundations, what are they interested in funding, and when you look and find the intersection of those three factors, that's where you want to go. You've gone through that process here in your current role yes. over the last couple of years now. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that experience as you came in, some of the questions you've asked, and how some of that has unfolded? Yes. Well, I'll start, I think, by giving you a really brief, really brief history of National Council of Jewish Women New York. Just to, to give some context to that, we've been around for more than 120 years since 1894. We were founded by dynamic, well-educated Jewish women who had few other outlets for their energies and their passions. They were committed to giving voice to the voiceless, to helping those in need, Jewish or not. They worked on all kinds of issues, health, education, child labor, immigration, refugees. They provided direct service and they did advocacy for systemic change. And so this very broad mission and this combination of services and advocacy is still what we do today. It's still very much needed today. But what's really changed is women's lives. Mm. We don't have that core of full-time volunteers anymore. Whether women are working outside the home or not, they do not have that kind of time to give to us. So we've had to shift towards a more professionalized staffing model. We're still very, very interested in volunteer leadership, and we have 400 plus volunteers who work with us across our different program areas in real leadership roles, but we've had to really professionalize the staff. My challenge two years ago when I was brought on board as the executive director was to really make sure that our programming is dynamic, is relevant, and kind of compelling and engaging for the younger generation of progressive Jewish women and to bring them in as volunteers and supporters. Our member base, our donor base, our volunteer base had been aging for quite some time into, and, and when I say aging, I, I mean, I really mean, you know, women in their 70s and 80s right. who really built this place into what it is, but were simply not able to either in terms of time, effort, Funding, they weren't able to do what they did 20 or 30 years ago right. for the organization. So we really had to take a hard look at that. And I just want to sort of step in there for a moment because 
you're not unusual in that you do have a lot of other organisations and leaders listening will have that same kind of differentiation between their members and their clients. Mm -hmm. So you have, you were describing the Mm -hmm. ageing of the membership base, the people who've been doing the work, but then Earlier, you also described a lot of people who might receive some of the services that you as an organization provide. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so do you want to talk a little bit about some of the clients that receive some of the services that you provide? Well, it's really, from I mean, we're serving a whole host of different populations in the city. We are providing senior services for a kind of an underserved elderly population, mostly here on the Upper West Side, where our community center is based. We're providing enrichment and cultural programming and bereavement support for that group. We're providing counseling and support for parents who've experienced miscarriage and newborn death in our pregnancy loss support program. We're providing literacy support for children in economically disadvantaged communities in our children's literacy program. Uh, we have an annual back-to-school store event where school children from economically disadvantaged families from all over the city come for one day and get everything they need to go back to school. So, you know, our client, oh, we have a huge hunger program, mm-hmm. a food pantry and a soup kitchen that operates three times a week between those two programs. We're serving hundreds of people uh, every week, hungry New Yorkers, uh, mostly from all, all over Manhattan, mostly yeah. we draw from. And uh, so it's it's really varied. In terms of who supports that, I mean, I think, again, looking at the transition that we're going through, there was a time where, for NCJW New York, our members were also volunteers and were also donors. Right. Those three groups were one and the same. Now it's sort of, it's split off a bit. Our volunteers may be donors or they may not be. That's interesting. And our donors might be volunteers and they may not be. And then the whole idea of membership is sort of breaking down. So talk more about that. What do you mean when you yeah, say it's Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, NCJW is still technically a membership organization yeah. um, in terms of our governance it's our, you know, members pay annual dues. It's mm-hmm. not huge. It's $72 a year. Yeah. And it's our members who actually vote on any proposed changes to the bylaws. It's our members who vote on the slate of officers and directors. Interesting. So you do have year. a board, but they are so elected by the membership. A, we do have a board, and our board has fiduciary responsibility for the organization, and they make all the decisions throughout the course of the year mm-hmm. at our board meetings and and whatnot, but um, but it is our members who vote on the slate of officers and directors every year. So yeah. our members have quite a lot of uh, power yeah. in the organization. But the whole idea of membership is really uh, falling away. Honestly, I don't know how much longer that will be our structure. Right now, what's driving membership is our senior services program that I mentioned. People become members of NCJW because it it then entitles them to a whole host of benefits within that program. We have a lot of free discussion groups, performances, events, classes. 
So you do have some members who are also mm. recipients of some of your services. Yes. So you have some who are clients members we may do. in the past have volunteered and be and may still be volunteering, but may also yeah. benefit from some of your services. Yeah, we do. So within yeah. that program, which we call Council Lifetime Learning, which is support and enrichment for older adults, the members, you know, they may also be volunteers and they may also be clients. Yeah. So that's where, you know, that's all kind of coming together. But, you know, otherwise... It's very difficult these days to convince someone to become a member of our organization. They may be a donor. They may come to a fundraising event. They may support what we do in uh, different ways. They may participate in another program. Yeah. They may volunteer every week for years. Yeah. And but the idea of becoming a member is just not appealing. Well, and it's interesting. I think in another conversation that you and I had a little while ago, I think we um, you touched on that the role that the organisation used to play was really about creating a space where Jewish women could be, and their skills and their intelligence and their capacity could be recognised and, and channeled. And now, to your point, those opportunities are, are more diverse. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a broader set of opportunities for women, not just Jewish women, but for women more broadly. I mm -hmm. think lots of organizations, if you think about education, you think about health, that kind of shift where, where women were the primary workforce, unpaid workforce sometimes, certainly underpaid in some of those professions. Um, now, as opportunities have kind of opened up, that presents challenges mm -hmm. for, for workforce. I know that you see that kind of pattern in a way you've had that aging of your volunteer workforce. And I know that the same issue is sometimes prevalent in some of those other industries too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, National Council of Jewish Women uh, was almost more, it was, a, it was in addition to a service organization, it almost was more of a social club. Mm -hmm. People were really coming here. For many of these women, it was the center outside of their own families, yeah. it was the center of their lives. Yeah. Um, more than their synagogue, more than their children's school, more than any other civic organization. I think that for our volunteers and donors and board members today, there is still somewhat of a social component, but that's not why they're coming. Yeah. So you, you know that I kind of I'm interested in the question of focus and the power of focus for an organization and some of the challenges. In a way, what you described, you're serving a very diverse set of needs. It's a very broad mission. It's hard to say there are so many things you can imagine somebody coming up with a service and, and finding a way to fit it in your mission. You are not alone in that. Lots of other executive directors and boards are grappling with that kind of question of how mm -hmm. do we say no when there's so much need? Mm -hmm. As the capacity on the volunteer side has diminished, the need for the sorts of human services that you're describing has only increased. How have you tackled that question of focus? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is just to really reiterate your point. I mean, I, I'll share with people the, a line from the official mission statement of National Council of Jewish Women is to improve the lives and well-being of women, children, and families. Right. That you is, got it all. That is You've literally covered all the bases. our yeah. mission. Um, so there's, there's, there's not a lot you could come up with that doesn't fit into that. Yeah. Um, and that's a challenge. And right now we do have a very eclectic mix of programs and services because they were ideas that bubbled up from volunteer leaders who identified a need in the community, 
created programs to meet those needs. And then on top of that, pretty much funded those programs, came up with ways, whether it was simply writing a check or planning an event or whatever they did, self-funded those programs as volunteer leaders. We're in a very different place right now, so we have to be much more strategic. Yes. And I led a process with our board and volunteer leaders to really look at what we're doing, what we do well, and where we should expand, if at all. Mm. And so where we really decided to focus was really reinvigorating our advocacy programming. It's something that has always been a big part of NCJW, not just our chapter, but every chapter across the country and nationally, um, the combination of direct service and advocacy. And our advocacy work had sort of waned in the last 15 or 20 years. So we really wanted to reinvigorate that by focusing on a few key areas. We chose the areas of anti-sex trafficking, hunger and nutrition, and reproductive justice. Mm. The last reproductive justice has always been a key issue for NCJW. And if things keep going the way they're going, it always will be because this yes. issue never seems yes. to it's not that the pressure is be up, resolved. Right? It's, you know, it's, it's, we're in the same place we were 20 years ago. Hunger and nutrition is a natural fit for us because we see those people almost every day. Mm. And uh, anti-sex trafficking is something that uh, many, many NCJW chapters throughout the country are working on. So we're sharing resources and, and information on that nationwide, and that, that makes the effort stronger at the local and the national level. So we've made a lot of strides on that in the last two years. As a matter of fact, just last night, we had a fantastic event, our first annual interfaith anti-human trafficking Passover Seder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had about 80 people and a rabbi and a minister leading a really educational and moving evening with some traditional Seder aspects and a lot of learning and reflection about the problem of modern day slavery that is human trafficking. And it's it's here, isn't it? I mean, I think sometimes we have this idea of human trafficking, something that's happening in other countries, yes. in, other, in other jurisdictions, yes. but it's happening in the city as we speak. It's happening all, right here, exactly. And that's our mission at the New York chapter is, you know, with our anti-trafficking advocacy work is to make people understand that it is happening right here in our backyards, in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, in Queens, everywhere. Um, It's happening right here in New York City. Of course, it happens overseas. Of course, it happens to immigrants brought here under false pretenses. But it's also happening to young women and children from the Bronx. It's happening to teenage girls who are, you know, coming out of the foster care system and have no place to go. That is human trafficking. Human trafficking is often not something that so many New Yorkers haven't thought about and don't know about. Yeah. And have you found with that kind of focus and going through that process and really starting to say, this is something we really want to put a stake in the ground, we really want to make a difference in this subject, has that been energizing and galvanizing for your members, for your staff? Yes, I think it has. Having the focus and really having clear goals. I think for the staff, it's definitely been a relief and it's been energizing. 
We want to be leaders on the issue of anti-sex trafficking, but on the issue of reproductive rights and on hunger and nutrition, we really just want to be at the table. We want to be part of coalitions. There are already other organizations right. like NOW and NARAL that are doing reproductive rights. They're doing it really, really well. We just want to be with them. We want to bring the women's faith-based org organization, the voice of a women's faith-based organization to the table on that and support those coalitions. So again, I think that's been really energizing for my staff. And I think for our board, for our older generation of women, I think what they wanna see is they wanna see new people coming in the doors. They wanna see new people coming to these events, getting involved, getting excited about what we're doing. And as long as they're seeing that, yeah. They're happy and yeah. they know we're going in the right direction. Well, I mean, I, and I love the distinction you just made about your role. And I think it's really powerful as a nonprofit organization to have the willingness and the intelligence to say, we can make a difference on this subject, but we don't have to build a program from scratch. I think sometimes people feel there's a need in the community and the first instinct is to go out and fill that need as opposed to understanding, well, how do we take our unique skills and positions and assets, be it members, be it our experience, be it our particular understanding of a community group, and connect with what's already going on to support that effort. So mm -hmm. I love that you made that distinction that in some areas you really want to lead the charge because somebody needs to do it and you're well positioned to do that. And in other areas you're saying, we're going to bring what we have, our expertise to the table to work together in collaboration with other efforts. Yeah. And I think that's really important too. You've made the choice to focus. And I always think there's kind of three three questions you need to ask around focus. And it sounds like you've, you've answered each of those. Who are we going to serve? How are we going to serve them? And what is their objective in doing so? And you've kind of made a thoughtful choice about how you do that, which yeah. I think is really exciting. Yeah, and in advocacy especially, it's a really important distinction because there is just no need to kind of reinvent the wheel or to compete with a group like the New York City Coalition Against Hunger. Right. I mean, they're doing it. Yeah. The whole idea is let's join that coalition, Absolutely. bring our voice to that coalition as a Jewish women's organization, we have a unique voice to bring, yeah. you know, especially to an issue like reproductive rights, mm -hmm. where other faith-based groups are on the other side of that issue. And, you know, it's easy to assume that God yes. is always on that side. Right, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah. the, any, the, the faith-based voice is always on the anti-choice side, which is not true at all. So that was part of the reason, actually, that when we were thinking about, okay, we know we can only have three issues. Yeah. You know, any more than three, we don't have the bandwidth. Yes. So yes. how are we going to choose? And that was one of the reasons why we chose the reproductive rights, or we, 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 we use the term reproductive justice. That was why we chose that issue, because as a faith-based organization, we felt that our voice would really be more, uh, more powerful, more important in the pro-choice coalitions. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, things we've worked on in the past. I mean, we've worked on, you know, as I said, child labor. We've worked on immigration. We've worked on refugees, which mm -hmm. is a huge issue right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so, but we, we have to stay focused. No, I agree. I mean, I, and, and I think um, even three can be a handful, which is why I think it's, it's interesting in a way that you 
you've thought about a different approach to each of those three, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think makes a lot of sense. So, so the one other thing, just to finish answering your question, in addition to reinvigorating our advocacy programming, the the second thing we want to focus on is expanding our children's programming. Mm-hmm. We're very well known in the community for our services for the elderly. Yeah, our site uh, right here on West Seventy Second Street has long been known as a senior center, even though we do many other things in this right. building. <laughs> <laughs> but it's long been known as a senior center. So we're working on expanding our our programs for children. We're adding additional sites to our children's literacy reading tutors program. We're up to three right now. We're growing it slowly and deliberately, and we're uh, expanding our back to school store that I mentioned a little mm. earlier. Exciting. Well, so those are all important and fairly serious topics. I wanted to just to close out with a reflection on maybe some of the the lighter moments in your career. Can you tell a story about a silly moment in your experience? Well, that's really easy for me because I know I mentioned I worked in the performing arts. What I didn't say was that that what I did was I was the director of community of programs for the Big Apple Circus, which is a New York City-based European-style circus, one-ring circus under a real tent, a big top tent. I worked there for six years, so there were many, many just hysterical and silly moments. I had, uh, the main program that I ran was was something called Clown Care. It's a national hospital clowning program with professional clowns who worked in teams of two in pediatric units in some of the finest hospitals across the country. It was just a joyous, amazing program to run. But so the reality is I had, you know, 75 part-time clowns who reported to me. (laughs) I mean, this is just a huge (laughs) management challenge, um, you know, to manage clowns. Um, you know, I would say I, some of the funniest moments were, were, were when we had to hold auditions. Right. for new clown care performers. If you see a really good clown audition, that's about the funniest thing you're ever going to see. And if you see a really bad one... Right. Sad clown. It's, <laughs> it is just the most cringeworthy, awful thing you're ever going to see. But, but if I had to choose one moment, I would say it was when my executive director surprised us all at a board meeting and gave us all the opportunity to walk on Bellow the Clown's Wheel of Wonder. It sounds intriguing. This Tell is, us this more is about during a board meeting. It's a fifty it's, it's a fifty foot high oh my. sort of hamster wheel. Oh my. <laughs> and uh, it was great fun, although I wished he had given me a heads up. I was wearing a pencil skirt and heels. <laughs> Very practical. Um, <laughs> You're a New York girl, you can go with anything. So <laughs> I took off the heels and harnessed in and <laughs> you, all you do is walk. And it sort of operates like a Ferris wheel, and you stepping makes it go up and over. So you went up and over? Up up and over, yes, 50 feet high. I'm a little bit afraid of heights. I was shaking like a leaf. Wow. But all of our board members did it. And so I said, well, I'm not going to have some of these board members, you know, some of whom were 20 years older than I was. I yeah. wasn't going to have all of them do it and, and not do it myself. So um, just another day in the office. Then. Just exactly. <laughs> just another day in the office. Just another board meeting. Well, it's such a pleasure to connect with you. We could always talk for ages, but thank you so much for sharing some of the really exciting work that you're doing, some of your focus areas and some of your wisdom. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Take care.
been listening to Mission Control Podcast with Liana Downey, where we talk about how social sector leaders can take control, increase impact, and change the world. For more on the series, you can follow us at SoundCloud, on iTunes, or see our website at www.missioncontrolbook.com.